Welcome to another episode of uh, the Snap No Tap podcast. I'm Tony Cicchini, along with, I got to always, you know, I've been getting hate mail because I, I guess when I introduce Joe, I don't really give him the, the recognition that he truly deserves, okay? Like the one and only and this and that and the living legend. This is all cliches that have been overused by other people. And, and even if they weren't overused, um, based on the overwhelming responses that I get, um, Joe is far beyond all of that. So I'm not the smartest guy anymore. I don't know what to what even to label him. So I'm opening this up for suggestions on the appropriate title of of the man god, the living, breathing perfection. I guess that's that's the only thing I can think of. But nonetheless, Joe Cardinal's here. Um, well, you, you know, Tony, coach, be fair, be fair on yourself. You know, some things defy, you know, are beyond words. And we're not going to be able to describe, you know, and when you go to see the Grand Canyon and you just say, wow, that, that's pretty big, you know, or it's grand. None of the things really can capture the experience of being there. And so you're kind of up against an impossible task. So don't be so harsh on yourself, you know. Um, Okay, then I guess because I see that again, that's another thing about you. See how you are, your humility. Um I'm the greatest at humility for sure. Yeah. Uh and um yeah, and you know, again, for you too. I mean, the to, you know, I often don't give you credit for the national treasure that is your mind here and the wisdom that you bestow on the audience that you know they tune in here week after week to hear what insights does coach have. Um so I don't even I don't even call it out, you know. I just yeah. I, let it speak for itself you know, that, you know, that for future generations, they know, you know, it, it, it goes without saying, as they say. So pretty amazing stuff here on the snap on tap podcast. Yeah, really, we really, we got, we cover all our bases here. They, yeah. you know, the looks and the brains, you know, so, yeah, well, you, you know, when it comes to the looks, man, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, you went to some comic book convention yesterday in Chicago with two thirds of your uh, children, uh, why don't you talk? I know that a lot of people um, follow that and love that. Talk about it. Yeah, so this is uh, the Chicago C two E two convention. It's the biggest comic book convention in the Chicagoland area, and maybe then for you know in the Midwest. I'm not sure, but it's 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 gigantic, and um, you know it's <clears throat> once a year. And there's a couple other ones in the area, but. It's a lot of fun. We try to make it like, you know, an annual event for the family. And uh, yeah, it was really exciting. I got to go with, uh, you know, two of the kids who are local, you know, and um, a lot of fun. Great to be able to spend the whole day with them. Um, I spent a lot of time. Like I said, there's multiple things to do there. 
Uh, it's lots of fun. I really enjoy, there's a, an area called the Artist Alley, uh, where uh, all these creators and artists, whether they're comic book creators or just random illustrators, um, you know, they set up tables and they, they'll sell posters or sketches or they'll sign your comic books. Um, I got to meet a couple of, uh, you know, famous comic book creators. So Clance Jansen, who worked on the Dark Knight Returns, I got him to sign a comic. And uh, like I said comic book fans will know who I'm talking about. Uh, there's an X-Men artist named Arthur Adams. Um, and like I said, the really nice, you know, really cool guys got to say hello and kind of, uh, you know, tell them it was nice to meet them. And they were very gracious. It was super was cool. Barry Crane there by any chance? Our, our personal uh, comic legend? Gosh, you know, I totally forgot to look him up. I should have, you know, and the thing is, yeah, next wow. week, yeah, I didn't even think to do that. that would, I, I imagine since he's local, he must have been there. I don't know if he had a table or not, but it's definitely kind of like one of the, for like that industry, that's one of the big events. Um, we also, we did, so uh, depending who's there, they also have like celebrity photos. So you can go um, like actually uh, Chris Evans, who plays Captain America in the Avengers movie was there. Um, we did not go to get his, I mean, that was just a zoo for, you know, I mean, they had hundreds and hundreds of people who wanted to go see him and get photographs with him. Uh, but we did get photographs. You know him. what that's like. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, that's the fun thing. It's nice for once to be in a situation in public like that, where I'm not the center of attention like that. You know, it's nice to have the roles reversed, um, you know, and everybody's in costume. So I think people probably just assumed I was a fan dressed up as Joe Cardinal. They didn't think oh. I was real Joe Cardinal. Yeah, that happens a lot. And um, <laughs> um, there was a lot of cool things there. Uh, so anyways, we got a we did uh, <clears throat> um, get um, a, a photograph with uh, the actor who played. So do you, I don't know if you remember, but in the 90s, there was a show Buffy the Vampire Slayer was really big. Anyway, it's kind of cute, right? Yeah, she was pretty. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so one of the male, one of the big male vampires in there, his name was Angel, and they had a spinoff show. Well, that actor was there, and that was one of the shows that, like, I watched with the kids when they were growing up. So we, uh, we got a photo with him. That was kind of fun, and he was he was cool, very friendly. So you know, considering that he had you know put up with you know probably a hundred different people coming by to get photographs, it was kind of cool to see that you know he was still willing to say a couple nice things and get the smile going. So. Because, uh, yeah, uh, we were talking earlier, actually, before the podcast, how, you know, over the years, because of these different uh, conventions and whatnot, um, you know, we've met different celebrities and had different reactions with them. But for the most part, most of them are pretty cool and generally, uh, you know, friendly. So it's a positive experience. But it was a long day. Uh, well, actually, so I'm on call for work this week. I was actually paged that morning at like three in the morning. So I was up at three in the morning working on an issue and then, like, we headed into the city, and I was basically on my feet for several hours after that. So I kind of woke up dragging this morning. It was a long, long day, but a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, definitely a great time. Well, you don't get any sympathy from me because 3 o'clock in the morning is a routine for me. Today it was 2.30 that I'd been up. So, you know, um, we were talking before uh, we started filming the podcast about celebrities and how I brought up the story that Paul Newman um, – is attributed that he quit giving out autographs. He shut it down when he was in a restaurant or a bar bathroom, whatever, and at the urinal, and a guy was pestering him for an autograph, and that was it. Paul Newman said, "That's enough," you know. He, he and he never he wouldn't sign autographs afterwards. I mean, I'm I'm assuming he would do it for charitable reasons, you know, like in a, at an auction or something. But you know, um, <clears throat> it, it it can be overwhelming, and especially like. 
you'll, you may read on the internet about, oh, I ran into such and such an actor. He was an asshole or this or that, you know, everybody can be in a bad mood, right? Um, there's just days where it just, it just happens to the nicest people in the world. <clears throat> and um, so it, it probably would, it would probably suck, you know, like I, I, I've heard, but I've met, I, I know people who, who, who know celebrities, right. Who actually worked with them and, interacted with them so i take what they say in that context far better you know because yeah this wasn't like a fan this is like a uh peer and if you treat peers like shit then you're a shitty person yeah well it's hard to know anybody just from a you know a chance meeting you know and especially when you're asking them for something um that's gotta you know gotta be not great um but yeah i mean like all these things when you get someone's autograph or a picture with them it's kind of cool but it's also like you know, I often question what is the value of that? It's nice, like some of, some of these comic book creators, because, you know, it's not like they're a movie star or something. So, you know, I'll, I'll have a few moments just to kind of express my my appreciation for a certain thing that they've done or a thing they've worked on or a piece of artwork. And so at least if I can express my I have to, a few moments to, you know, just, um, you know, give my regards. That's kind of nice to be able to express that to them in person. But it's not like being able to sit down and have a beer with the guy and kind of get a feel for them and hang out with them a little bit. That's, that's when you really start to get to know somebody, you know, like that's, you know, having that kind of time would be nice, uh, but obviously that's impossible, you know, for these celebrities who, you know, millions of people want to hang out and know them, but I, I kind of do have sympathy for some of them because yeah, um, I've seen circumstances. We were talking before the podcast again, or I with even like just a, a kind of a, a B list um, comic artist. I saw, a guy come up with a big stack of comics for this guy to sign for free. The guy wasn't charging for autographs. And so he just, you know, he wanted his, the, apparently he wanted the value of these comics to go up, you know? So he didn't have the, the fan didn't have the self-awareness to say, Hey, you know, that's, that's going to be kind of tiring on this guy's hand. He's got a bunch of other people in line. Why don't you just have him sign one thing, you know, but no, he was do, definitely doing it. And I think they do this for sports memorabilia too. And that's why that you kind of need, you kind of almost have to charge people so that there's some limiting factor because some people will just ask you to sign a bazillion things then to to bring up the rate. Um, so, and also I remember hearing uh, there's this comedian, uh, Amy Schumer. She talked about. I know who she is. Yeah. She met uh, Louis CK, another comedian. And she talked about being disappointed when she, when she was not famous, she met him and he was very cold and standoffish to her and she was disappointed. But then later when she became famous, and started to go through it she got a new perspective on it and she says once you achieve a certain level when people come up to you you're not sure what their what their angle is like do they want something from you you know what are, are they trying to advance They're like you, you start to become cynical over the years as to is this person just you know coming here to uh uh, say hello and ex, uh, express appreciation or are they trying to advance their career like what are, you know and it just starts to get in, and so they you almost have to build a wall between yourself and these people initially, and you have to kind of be detached. So I, I can, it was kind of interesting to hear her perspective from the outside and the inside and to see that change in herself when she all of a sudden became the target of like, you know, these people weren't genuinely just coming up. They were, they were often, she said, people were looking for something. And once you've had that a few times, um, I'm sure it can turn you off, you know, just to the, the, you know, you never, I guess you never really trust when someone's coming up to you, then what, what are they looking for? So, um, but that said, I've had um, really great interactions, especially 
uh, with certain celebrities. Uh, Martin Landau, we were again talking before we started the podcast. He was here at one of the the Hollywood theaters. They were doing the showing of uh, his movie, Ed Wood, which I can't endorse enough. It's a hilarious movie. And he did a great performance as an aging uh, Bella Lugosi. <clears throat> and I think he either won the Academy Award or was uh, nominated for it for a supporting actor for that role. But anyways, he was there, um, you know, because they were showing the film. And uh, I went there with Casey when so my oldest son, but he was still in high school at that point and, and in theater. And he had a copy of the DVD and he signed the case of the DVD. He was really nice about that. And then Casey, you know, fortunately, Casey kind of had, I don't remember if we talked, planned it before he went up there, but he basically had a really good question. He's like, do you have any advice for, uh, you know, a beginning actor, a young actor? And he spent a few minutes just answering like, yeah, you got to know your craft. You got to study, learn. And he was just very kind to Casey and seemed genuinely interested in it. And so, like I said, you know, he didn't have to give Casey the time of day, but he did. So, I mean, um, you know, granted, he wasn't the A-list celebrity that he was back in Mission Impossible days or whatever, but he was still, you know, he didn't have to, and he was nice. So, uh, you know, it's, it's you never know what you're going to get, I guess, when you run into them, what, what mood you're going to catch them in or uh, what the circumstances is. But it, it is nice when you see them, you know, get down to earth and actually uh, appreciate and enjoy interacting with the fans. I've been lucky enough to know a few, uh, like, B, B actors, I guess. You know, they would be character actors in movies, you know. Uh, and then, I, well, I, actually, I, I knew Dennis Farina, who was not a B actor. He was big time at one point. Um, but I didn't know him well. But I knew one guy. I saw him almost, well, I saw him every week. Uh, it, it, interesting, his uh, his real name, well, his name, his regular name, was Ross Alexander, which was which wasn't even a real because I think he was Ar- Armenian, but his stage so Ross Alexander, um, but his stage name was Alex Ross, right? It, it, it was an all so neither one of them was his real name, and he was really cool. Uh, he he was in like The Color of Money. He played a bartender, uh, uh, in the bartender scene where because uh, that was filmed in Chicago, where Paul Newman. Walks in with uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastro Antonio, which I knew her uncle, um, and you know gets all funky with you know hitting on her. You know it was all a you know that scene, the bartender. That's that's uh, that's Ross, um, and then he was in uh, I believe Above the Law, where he played a mafia guy, uh, family or tied in with Seagal. Um, I'm having a hard time digging with my throat, so I apologize here. Uh, he was just one of the nicest, absolute nicest guys. I mean, literally, we'd sit there, you know, and I would record him for posterity, you know, advice, just about movies and stuff. You know, and he, he used to tell me that I should try it. I should go down when they're filming in Chicago and just, I never did, you know, um, you know, try to get like a, be an extra or something. He said, you can make, you know, a few hundred dollars a day. And then there was this lady that owned a bar by Midway Airport called Wortelka's. That was the name of the bar. She passed away. Her name was Mrs. Wortelka. And she was in over 100 movies, right? And extras are different because you can't even talk. You can't do anything. It's like, you know, I, that's why I didn't want to be an extra because, you know, you, you can't do anything. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, Alex was one of the, um, was one of the greatest, uh, nicest guys you could ever meet. You know, um, and uh, yeah, he's been passed away for quite some time now, probably 15 years, maybe it's been a while. Matter of fact, I was on a date 
And Vince Costa, he's on my boxing thing. Vince called me, hey, you know, uh, Ross died. I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I was. And then I met a couple other actors that like B, B levels um, that were or, or whatever. They were all nice. You know, and it's funny because most of them didn't have anything nice to say about these huge stars. I'm not going to name names. All right. Because I don't want to get down that, that road. But uh, uh, yeah, they they didn't have a lot of nice things to say about superstars. Yeah, well, I've got to imagine once you're like, yeah, superstar, you've got to live in this weird reality. Oh, so speaking of stars, there's another story. Um, so um, Ben, so my youngest, he worked at a theater here in Downers Grove, um, uh, the Tivoli. It's an old theater, like, you know, from the 20s. It's beautiful. Swedish. And um, he, but anyways, they were doing a showing of Jaws and Richard Dreyfus was there. So he was going to oh. come. Yeah. And uh, so uh, Ben was working, you know, as an usher or whatever, worked behind the candy counter or whatever. And I think they had him. So they had him because it was, I think because Richard Dreyfus was there, they had assigned seating or whatever. So he had to actually usher people to their seats and things. But then mm-hmm. right before, like a few minutes before, yeah. like, I don't know, 20 minutes before the movie was starting, they're kind of like, okay, uh, which one of you guys is going into the shark suit? And so Ben jumped forward. He's like, I'm in the shark suit. And so they said, all right, come with us. And they took him down and he got to, uh, they put him in a shark suit. And actually he's t- he told me some more of the details yesterday about it, but they they were going to have him standing on the side of the the screen and wait for yeah. Richard to come up and then join him in the shark suit. And they're like, you know, so just stay here. He's like, you know what? Screw this. And he basically went down to the green room where Richard Dreyfus was and he went to say hello to him. So he had the shark suit on. You know, he didn't have the hat on yet, the, yeah. the helmet of the shark. He went down and said, hey, Mr. Because he didn't want to surprise him either. And he's like, oh, they're doing the shark suit thing. And yeah. uh, but he said he got to hang out with him. And, but my one of my points being, hey, it was cool. And, uh, oh, the other thing is, I guess this is a kind of a, a request to, to our listening audience is we don't have a picture of that. So he was actually on stage with Richard Dreyfus dressed as a shark. So if anybody who happened to be there that night had a picture of it, I mean, I was so upset. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't, you didn't have someone take a picture? But it was all last I minute. Mean, he didn't know he was going to do it. You know, like it was all just like on the fly. And, um, but my point about celebrities, like, I guess, you know, he was, he was a big enough celebrity for a long enough time, you know, like he had kind of a handler and things like that, but there was something like he needed a belt for his outfit. And so he kind of started asking around like, what can you guys give me a belt? And it's like, well, we've got 15 minutes before the show. This is a movie theater. We don't, you know, like, I guess you could, we could give you one of our belts. But <clears throat> it was like, you know, in normal circumstances, like a movie theater doesn't have just extra wardrobe laying around, you yeah. know? Like, and he just didn't seem to, like, it's useful. And he, he didn't get upset. He's like, oh, you know, never mind or whatever. But it was just a weird question of like, Oh, can you guys get me a belt? It's like, no, we, you know, this is a movie, th- you know, like we, I mean, we can give you one of ours, but we don't have, we don't have someone who can run out, you know, our wardrobe section. So I was almost like they live, they're not completely in touch with what reality is for, I think, if you spent most of your adult life where there's so much money and, you know, so many staff supporting you, I don't know if they know what it's like for, you know, it, it was just a weird question for him to ask in that context. Um, but well, they have of... released on the internet like contracts of some of these stars and what they'd make demands of the hotel where they're staying, this and that. It's like ludicrous. I mean, when I filmed the Snap No Tap, they asked me, you know, 
well before, like weeks before, what what will I need? And I basically at that point, so I was all busted up. I said, and I don't I don't need anything. I mean, I'm going to stop. I'm going to bring pills. So, you know, to take ibuprofen and Advil or uh, Tylenol and Advil. I said, I'm going to be popping them between scenes. So just bring a bunch of water. Um, and then uh, like bars to eat, like fruit bar, something to keep our energy going. Because, you know, that's all I asked for. I did ask for Cheryl Ladd, but they gave me everything but her. I don't know why, but um, that's why they're probably out of business. Um, yeah, there are some crazy requests. I, I mean, musicians too, you know, all of it. Oh. But yeah, um, the, the real notorious one was Van Halen. They um, Keep talking. Then, I got to get more throat losses. Okay. But basically on their rider for concerts, and there's a lot of back and forth as to the reason, like, you know, were they just being jerks? But one of the things they asked for on their rider was M&Ms, but only, I think, brown M&Ms. Like they literally wanted all the other color M&Ms taken out. And then they, they, they that was just one of the ridiculous things. And it was interesting because it became so no, notorious. Like, you know, can you believe that these guys just didn't ask for M&Ms, but they said, we only want brown M&Ms. Like that would make a difference. And they later responded to that. And again, I don't know if this is, if they were being honest, but they said, this was one of the details that they hid in the rider to see if, because apparently they have a very elaborate stage show with a lot of stuff. And if, you know, they, cause they would like swing from cables and all kinds of ridiculous shit. And if the, the, the people, the local people who helped set that up or whatever, I don't know, but basically said if someone was not paying attention to the details of their writer and all the stuff that they wanted before they came for the concert, um, you know, they, they said that it could be risky, you know, with the pyrotechnics and whatnot. And so that was one of the little tests that they put in there to say, are these people actually reading everything that we're asking for? And, well, and that's actually, valid. It could be true. That's valid. Yeah, so it, was, it was interesting kind of like people's initial reaction to this ridiculous request and then them saying that and it actually seemed kind of interesting so yeah i mean as far as like weird stuff um yeah because i did that with uh paladin press you know when i put in the cheryl ad thing i put in 20 watt light bulbs and montavani records you know just to see if they were paying attention yeah so it could be um, risky being with her you know yeah and, and instead they ended up giving you cheryl teagues uh, the completely wrong cheryl and you know because clearly yeah. they, they gave me Chuck Teagues. Yeah, my luck. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so like when people would bring me out for seminars, you know, naturally they got to, you know, put you up somewhere. And I would always tell them, hey, I'll just stay with you at your house if you have a spare room. Why Why shell out for an, um, for a hotel or motel or something like that? Once in a while they would, they, they had a hookup and they, they would put me in a hotel room. Um, <laughs> I almost got thrown out of one once. We got to get Mike Hanak on this show. We got to track him down. That our one guest says he knows him. And he was going to track him down because Mike, Mike, and I almost got thrown out. But uh, yeah, um, I'm a simple guy. Like I just want to um, just what's ever easiest. You know, kind of like when with, with like with my Tri C program. I don't want people to come over here and stay stay in a hotel or motel, whatever. Why should they shell out money for that? Stay at my place. You know, I I got room. Um, so I'm more like simple like that. So I met a guy, an actor, uh, at at a at a, a place that's probably gone now called the Berwyn Bar Association. That was what it, what it was. And I was with my friend McNabb at the time. We were we were there, and he looked vaguely familiar. But I only 
it came out, his name was Vito Reginis. He was Lithuanian, local. Oh, he doesn't live here anymore, but he was a, he did White Diamonds commercial with Liz Taylor. He was in the movie Cliffhanger. He was the FBI agent that got gunned down. He's done a lot of things. I only knew him from, I only knew from Cliffhanger. So I kind of felt bad that I didn't, you know, follow mm-hmm. his career. But he told me he wasn't a Hollywood type. He said he would hang out with all these stuntmen and shit. I said, oh, stuntmen, did you know Gene LaBelle? He goes, no, I never heard of him. So, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't. He never heard of him. But um, he's like, he's just a down-to-earth guy. We bought each other beers and shit. A real nice fella. Um, and see, it made a lasting impression on me. Um, and, yeah, he you know, he discussed Stallone and he discussed um, Elizabeth Taylor. Those were the two. Those are like as big as they get in Hollywood, you know, historically. Um, but, uh, and he did confirm one thing about Liz Taylor when they filmed the White Diamonds commercial. Yes, for the people who have ever heard this rumor that are my age or older, there were armed guards on the set of that commercial because those were actually her jewels and they were worth millions, okay? I mean, these were not cos- costume jewelry in that commercial. They were legit, and there were guards there. Um, you know, when she died, she was close to a billion dollars or or maybe more. You can look this up probably. She was, like, extraordinarily wealthy, and I never knew that. I never thought of her as being, like, super, you know, super wealthy like that. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, she used actual real diamonds, and that kind of gives you, like – now, remember, this is back in the – 80s or whenever that commercial came out long before there was 4k televisions and all of that so it kind of gives you an insight into the personality it's like nobody on planet earth's going to know if this is costume jewelry okay but she had to have the real thing now that's high maintenance you know i, I couldn't date her i'm sorry you know i wouldn't be I, you know that's too high maintenance for me yeah that's a shame otherwise i think it would have worked out between you two but you know oh i mean why wouldn't it yeah um, but yeah, it's it, they're, they're obviously they're, they're in a whole different plane of existence and yeah, you got to wonder what the trade-off is. If, if, it, if it would be worth it or what, what things you'd miss out on, you know, cause there's advantages to being able to just to go out and, and enjoy your life and not have to worry about, you know, being mobbed like that. You know, I remember. Well, uh, you're right. And most of the bodyguarding gigs that I've done, and sure the people who live out in, Southern California who really get the gigs, it's crowd control more than anything. It's just to keep people away. Um, and even with some of the politicians, it's, hey, just keep people away. Um, you know, it's not like their life is being threatened necessarily. Uh, but I would always take it like, okay, make the money that you can um, because Hollywood, and again, I'm not an actor. We should have probably asked Eric Paulson all this when he was here on the show. Um, you really have, it's like an athlete. You have a small window of what, you know, of when you're going to be a star and then you're relegated to like character roles or no roles at all. Right. So make the money while you can. Um, and just become well-adjusted because unless you're a Paul Newman or a Robert De Niro or Pacino or, you know, guys like that who just are prolific, you know, your, 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 your celebrity status may, may fade. You mentioned Richard Dreyfus, who I, I love him as an actor, okay? Um, I put him on a, on a level of a Dustin Hoffman 
who who made terrific, uh, unbelievable movies. Yet, or Gene Hackman, right? But when you talk about great actors, you 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 rarely bring these names up because they're not like your typical leading man type. But yet, they're just phenomenal at their craft. So my point is, there may come a time in your life as an actor where now you can start to go out, you know, as you're older and, and not be harassed. But um, I'll you know what it's like. I'll never know what that's like. So I I don't I don't get no. I don't have I don't have to deal with that. But yeah, it's got to be not as easy as we think. Or now with the paparazzi, because these guys can make a lot of money getting pictures. I know a little bit about that. Let, let, let me tell you something about that. So many years ago, um, well, all right, I want to get Pete Contino on the show. Pete Contino, I sent you the info. To, uh, trying to, you, I know you haven't tried to contact him. Try to contact him. And try to contact uh, Bernie Langdon, too. We got to get him on. Um, but anyway, Dick Contino, Pete's father, did movies, but he was like – a, 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 huge, a huge star playing the accordion and everything, just gigantic. He was bigger than Frank Sinatra in the late 40s and beginning of 50s, right before some situation happened with the Korean War thing. I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, so I remember when I was a young guy, I was like 20, 21, something. And the first time I met Dick Catino, I think it was 21. And, you know, he told me about the old hot we we hung out i mean this wasn't like a five minute thing i was in the car with him we had breakfast lunch dinner um and uh he he said how the old hollywood system worked you know the old studio like you never left the house ever especially as a woman actress unless you were dressed to the nines you just had it look your best everywhere if you were walking to go get your mail you had to be dressed up and look good or don't leave the house Get somebody else to do it for you. And he was the one who told me about always have a suntan, you know, and he's the one who got me started on tanning and shit and then dress appropriately, um, you know, because it's all about image. So fast forward to today where you have these actors and, you know, uh, male, female that go out, you know, you get your picture taken and they look like bums. I mean, honestly, some of them do. They just, they don't look glamorous or, and they're just being themselves. I get it, you know, but I've never been that type of person, man. I I always want to look presentable wherever I go, okay? And if I just feel like shit, I'm not going to leave the house. Um, maybe it's because of what Dick Contino told me, but I don't know. Because I've known people that were like, that had nothing to do with Hollywood, that were like me, okay? Um, and I don't mean that I have to wear a suit and tie, but I have to be presentable. And on that note, the you know, Kevin King, who, you know, God, him dying really just but his grandfather, who I obviously never met, would get dressed up every day to go to work. He would put a suit and tie on to take the bus downtown Chicago and then change at work. He was a uh, operating engineer, a janitor. Hmm. Right? But he would wear a suit and tie on the bus ride and then to the work and then on the bus right back home every day, uh, which I wish I could have met the man because that's the way to live. All right. Always look your best when you look good to yourself. You, you feel good about you, you know, and you, and you, and you present something. So the words of Dick Contino always stuck with me. Um, especially when you're in the business of marketing yourself, right? Uh, like with me, I mean, I'm at, I'm, I don't, 
necessarily, I, I shouldn't put myself in that. I'm not putting myself in that realm with the actors and shit, but this is a lifestyle for me, exercise and being in shape. You know, so many martial artists we know, and through the years, not just, I'm not talking famous ones, just your average, you know, your black belt down on the street corner. They get fat, they get out of shape and shit. That's a joke about uh, amongst martial artists. It's because it's the truth. I was, no, this is a lifestyle for me. I always want to look good, feel good, you know, as best I can be presentable. So I understand that it could be tough dodging the paparazzi and, and, you know, they're always looking for a story. I mean, uh, I just saw something the other day on, on the internet when I was checking my emails, the news comes up on it and Britney Spears and her husband were caught filming photograph not wearing their rings their wedding rings now what does that mean you know people got way too much time on their hands this is all because of the internet because you know every day they're trying to come up with a fresh story so in certain ways i don't envy them you know i i don't i don't envy the hollywood or, or whoever these these famous people are wherever they're from but um but sometimes yeah they do bring it upon themselves i get it but I don't know. My whole point was that it was a tie-in with Dick and Tino saying, always look your best. So there well, you go. Know, yeah. I mean, I never leave the house without makeup. You know that. So, um, <laughs> and, uh, but that also reminds me, it is also kind of a, of a different era too, because um, we've had Dwayne on the podcast a couple of times. He's a buddy of mine from Detroit, but he, he was raised by his grandparents. And um, I think his grandfather worked at Ford or, you know, they're from Detroit. Yeah. But anyways, he said, I don't think my grandfather owned a pair of jeans. He never saw him dress casual ever. Like he always had slacks on. He always dressed nice. And that made an impression on Dwayne. So Dwayne, you know, like we'll have Zoom meetings or whatever. He always has a nice shirt on or a sweater or something, you know, like, <clears throat> I mean, much to my chagrin, I'm very much the opposite. I'm definitely got to up my, I got to start addressing a little bit more like an adult. Honestly, I still dress like a kid. You know, I have you know, t-shirts and, you know, sweatpants and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to get better about it, you know, not always wearing gym shoes out, you know, having like, like oh, I said, I adult never... clothes. Um, but there's something to that, you know, about, uh, and they always, you know, obviously the, the cliche is dress for the job you want to get, you know, but even if it's not for a job, just for like, Oh, then you would be naked. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's that, that's the dichotomy. They won't let me dress like how I want to dress, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyways, you know, I wanted to circle back to something. We probably should have addressed this at the beginning of the podcast. We just kind of got, went off, uh, running, uh, but on some of the con comments on some of the earlier, like the last couple, of uh, YouTube videos we have up, uh, people were asking about how your health was doing. We obviously told everybody you were going to be having a surgery and things, but I don't think we've given an update. I know people were curious to see how you're doing. Okay. Well, so. The surgery, so I got several things going. I got the brain issues, which is just going to keep on festering. I, we'll have a more of an update in June. I blew it because they wanted me to go get these neurological tests, and it wasn't going to be until July. And I just, I had a case of the ass. I'm like, no, I'm not going to wait because I started this whole thing in August of last year. I, I can't. So I blew that. But, uh, but there's other tests scheduled um, in June. Uh, as far as the surgery, uh, the wounds aren't healing, um, to be frank uh, with you, on the right side. The operation was here, but they went in on the right side. So if you, 
I got to be careful when I cough or sneeze or uh, just anything lifting. I, I mean, I'm actually, I'm going to try to start lifting again tomorrow, um, very lightly. Um, but I've developed an issue with my throat that's um, severe. Let's put it that way at this point. So that's why it's hard for me to swallow. I've been eating or living basically on a lot of liquids. Okay. A lot of soups and like vegetable, like green beans are soft and, you know, I can chew it a little bit and swallow. Um, like it, it just, so the problem is back here, but you know, the pain's here, pain's like, I can't stick my tongue out, things like that. Um, so, uh, I got to come up with some new gestures instead of sticking out my tongue. I got to go back to the old Italian shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, uh, but I'm going to be, I mean, you know, I'm going to kick ass, you know, it's just a question of now I, I'm going to try to start lifting again tomorrow. Um, I was going to start riding the bike yesterday and I got caught up and I just, with things that I just felt tired all day yesterday. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to push it. So I'll try to ride today. Um, but yeah, thanks everybody for, for asking. I, I don't give up, up. I don't, it's not that I'm being evasive. It's just that I don't know what people, this is all new to me. Cause I hadn't been to a doctor for years. I was just taking care of my mom with her stuff, but it's rare that you get things lickety split. It's always wait, wait, wait. So now I've, I've got to make decisions about my throat. Um, and, and it's basically on me now. Um, to make that decision of what I want to do with it um, <clears throat> because it's not getting better on its own. So uh, that'll make that decision will happen this week. Uh, outside of that though, no, thanks for checking in everybody. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I just, you know, I'm just trying to make a living somehow. So I got to stay alive. <laughs> I got to get in shape to make a living here or be, you know, be strong to make a living. Um, so getting forward though, about, about that, uh, about what we were talking about, about Hollywood or just, you know, uh, celebrities and all that. I've had my experiences with, I guess you'd call them martial, well, musician celebrities <clears throat> that the general public wouldn't know who they are or martial art guys that, you know, people don't know who they are. Um, and it, it's, it's quite interesting concept because, um, I think especially for the martial art, uh, I'll call them celebrities because they have such a small following, right, in, in the scheme of life. Musicians have a little bit more. Uh, some can hit it big in the jazz world. Like I got to see, oh, I, I think I talked about this. I got to sit down with um, Louis Belson, who was absolutely the nicest human being that ever lived, right? And uh, Frank Theron, legendary jazz guitarist and uh, singer extraordinaire. He used to call me up. Uh, on my phone and uh, ho on my home phone. I think that's a long time ago. He passed away. Um, and uh, these guys are just like, people like that are, you know, gems. And Louis Belson was like a superstar in the drumming community. He was second famous to Buddy Rich. There was three hugely, in the non-rock and roll thing, there was Buddy Rich first and foremost. He's probably the most famous drummer that ever lived. Then you had Louis Belson. This isn't well, Buddy was probably the most famous drummer, period. But then you had in the jazz, number two was Louis Belson. Number three was Ed Shaughnessy, who played for the Tonight Show because he was on every night. Um, and then you had your delving into the jazz guys. You had Elvin Jones, Philly Joe Jones, Max Roach, Billy Cobham, Tony Williams, on and on. 
those guys, the general public may not have known, okay, Joe Morello, um, but everybody, you should have known who Belson was, and for sure everybody knew Buddy Rich. So, uh, you know, the way Louie carried himself was just fantastic. Frank Darone was a musician's musician, right? If you weren't a musician, you probably wouldn't have known who Frank Darone was, right? Um, he just, he wasn't like, talent-wise, he was as good as Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra. But he just wasn't, you know, it's it's all a part of the click thing. So I really found out that um, these guys would would be willing to take their time, like you said, with uh, Martin Landau, you know, and and talk to you about stuff. Um, especially Frank Derone would give me jazz theory lessons, right? I mean, not officially, but, you know, when we would talk, I'd always ask him about chord ideas. You did something on Cherokee. I like that chord substitution. What did you do? Um, and that's how I always wanted to be with people. You know, hey, if you have a question, I, I, ask me, you know, um, I'll, I'll try to answer it the best I can. No, don't worry about it. Um, but I think we're in a different state in life. You know, we're, we're in, like where people bash, 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 you know, you just cop an attitude. At least I do. You know, it's where it's just like, you know, um, not good. Whereas guys like Frank Derone, Louis Belson, they weren't bashed. I mean, this was kind of like their stardom was before internet. Uh, so they didn't have to live through all of that. And, um, and the music world is totally different than the martial arts world. Believe me. Um, there's just no comparison. All right. Uh, the, the, the level of, I'd have to say respect amongst musicians is, I mean, you got assholes, but, uh, don't get me wrong, but man, no, musicians just, uh, love to play, man, you know, and, and they, and they, they challenge each other to, to inspire each other. Right. So if I, if I'm jamming with you and you do something creative, now that's going to make me try to get more creative. So I, I, I miss all that. I guess the camaraderie to a point, you know, there are some backstabbers. Don't get me wrong. There always are, but martial arts is a little different in that, in that realm. It's, it's, no, it's tough, man. It's dog eat dog. It's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bullshitters, a lot of charlatans kind of like in it, in it, you know, so whereas musicians, you, you get it, you get exposed. Um, so. It is interesting though. Like, um, and because when you talk about musicians, you know, I read a lot about some of the like the famous rock guitarists, and it is interesting to hear which ones don't like other ones and which ones, you know, some of them, when, when you hear them talk about, you know, the other greats, they're just generous. You know, they just, they, you know, they, they talk about how great all these other people, they don't see them as competitors, but other ones you, you read and you, and you get the impression they're not willing to, <clears throat> and it could be that they honestly don't feel that way, but you get the impression is that, and, and actually it's interesting to, you know, reading about like, you know, one guitarist, you know, generally like there's in the rock world, at least, I don't know much about the jazz world, but like, there's just some of the obvious, these are the, these are the big names in, in guitar and whatnot. And some of them, like I said, yeah, they just, uh, you know, lavish praise and talk about how, you know, who influenced them and, and other ones are just really tight lipped about it and want to kind of act like, you know, they did it all on their own or, you know, they're just, they're not as forthcoming. And I always try to read between the lines. It's like, you know, is that, is that genuine or is there some, 
insecurity there, you know, like why, or, you know, do they, you know, like somehow uh, acknowledging these other people somehow will lessen them. Um, uh, it's just interesting to kind of, you know, again, it could be just me, you know, totally misreading the way these people, but it is interesting from one personality to the other, see how they talk about each other and what their impressions are. Um, and the same thing with bands, you know, there are just certain bands that um, uh, seem to be hated by everybody. And it's even though they're hugely popular, you know, like they're hated by other musicians. And you wonder, I mean, some of the criticism is legit, you know, because a lot of times bands will be famous in spite of the fact of their musical limitations. Let's say they just have hits, you know, or they just catch on for whatever reason. And I can see that other bands that can be upsetting. You know, if you're, 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 you're a tight band skilled, there can be some resentment there for like, well, why is band X, Y, or Z so popular? Uh, and we're not. And um, yeah, so it is interesting to, like I said, I can only speak to, as a fan of the rock world reading, you know, over the years, just reading just different impressions of, of each other and, um, and things like that. But I, I guess occasionally I pick up a little bit on what I would consider um pettiness especially when they're younger like it seems like also when musicians these same musicians i've read them older they'll then like acknowledge certain things like it's almost like it doesn't matter at that point like they you know they they're not competing anymore and they've had the the benefit of time they can look back and say um like uh pete townsend i remember him talking about led zeppelin and they led zeppelin obviously is a very famous band huge probably one of the biggest hard rock bands of all time and but they've generally and there's valid reasons why to critique them they stole a lot of music there's some sloppy paying but regardless they made music that people loved you know people love the sound of it um so there are valid criticisms of them uh at, you know at ethical and musical levels um, but you also have to acknowledge what they've accomplished as far as you know uh artistically there too and but anyways i heard a Pete Townsend later in life saying, you know, I got to acknowledge they, in a lot of ways, superseded what we did as the who they, they, they had a bigger audience. They did, you know, they, they achieved things. So it was interesting to see him later um, kind of acknowledge those things that I think like earlier on, you know, they, they were definitely a band that got snubbed a lot, I think. Um, well, you know, the- I want to, I want to mention on that, like with Bill Superfoot Wallace, right. Who I knew or know. And we we did seminars together and hung out all through Terry Dow. Terry Dow's his his man, you know, is his number one guy. And Bill was, you know, undefeated kickboxing middleweight champion of the world. And he's one of the nicest, funniest, great guys. Phenomenal martial artist who gets trashed and it, it just, you know, and, and he was a judo guy, he was a collegiate wrestler. He had a lot of skills. And he was in the movies, you know. Um who broke, he kind of broke my heart because I was in love with Jennifer O'Neill and he didn't, he didn't say a lot of nice, I don't know. He, she was difficult too, but, but she was beautiful. Anyway, um, so I use Bill Wallace, like, you know, younger generations don't understand, okay? He had only so, so many outlets back then in the 70s, right? And kickboxing was a, a craze. It was, it was an up and coming sport. So he gravitated towards that. You know, and, and it's not fair to say, oh, this, he wouldn't have done any good in UFC, this or that, whatever. In my opinion, he would have done exceptionally well because he was more than a kickboxer and he wouldn't just kickbox more than likely. But I mentioned that because so many, like when you talk about rock musicians, 
the good ones, the great ones, they know their limitations, okay? They know that they can't venture out of that rock scene because they'll get devoured by other players, okay? Um, and and I, I have so much respect for them, right? So uh, because they know that, again, they, they know. Uh, and yet, though, there are some in the, jazz, in the rock world that can cross over and can play jazz, um, some better than others. Like Neil Peart wasn't a great jazz drummer, okay? When he used to do that Buddy Rich Memorial Scholarship Fund, he, he was out of his element trying to play jazz, um, in my opinion. Um, but uh, there's just some – well, I'm not the biggest Eric Clapton fan. I'll say that straight out. But, I mean, he can play blues. He's not a jazz player, but he'll play blues and quite well in, in addition to his rock. Um, don't get him on the stage with Martin Taylor. Don't get him on the stage with, you know, playing jazz with George Benson or somebody like that because it's 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 going to be a bloodbath. Um, so you have two types of people then, I guess, in that you got your traditionalists and you got those that are more multifaceted, almost like a studio musician. And, and that happens in martial arts. You have guys, let's say nowadays, are just strict grapplers, right? Well, they may toy around with strikes, but they're they're never going to really be considered strikers. They're not going to be good at it. And you got musicians who are, you know, just I'm a rock and roll guy or I'm a country player. And by the way, there's some excellent country western musicians that can play jazz, they can play rock and roll. And I'm not talking about just drums or guitar, but you know, keyboards and you name it. Um, they go under the radar a lot. Look at look up Hank Garland for one. That's going way back in time, but. And he, you know, he's one of them. And Glenn Campbell, to me, was one of the greatest guitarists that ever lived. Studio sausage, you know, he could play it all. So um, I guess being multifaceted can help you. It depends on where your career is going. So to the defense of these rock stars, if they make it big, especially when they're relatively young, early 20s, that could stymie their development as a musician. Now, hear me out. What I mean by that is, okay, let's use Kiss, right? Okay, now we got to play a certain style of music here. Now, I don't, I do know that, you know, stick or uh, Kiss try to do some disco ish shit, whatever, when disco was popular. <laughs> it's probably their producers made them do it. But no, they, they were locked into that style, okay? Um, so therefore, there's no reason for them to try to branch off into anything else because it's all about business, you know? Uh, your recording company is going to tell you what to do until you hit, maybe until you hit rock bottom or, you know, whatever. Um, so I get it. Okay. And I think there's a difference in martial arts though, because none of, I don't know of any martial artist that, you know, has that kind of clout in the world, you know, as far as production and making millions and millions and millions a year. Um, strictly doing martial arts. I mean, maybe if you're an actor or something. So, um, yeah, it's just a whole different, you know, avenue. Like with me, people ask me, well, you were, I remember when I moved to Chicago, some old guy, musician, didn't like me. And I was just here like a matter of weeks. Doesn't take, take long not to like you. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but he used to say, that kid, that Cleveland kid, because that was my nickname, the Cleveland kid, and he didn't even know it. 
He's strictly jazz, you see. Strictly jazz. That's how he talked, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, he he wasn't a solid musician whatsoever. I mean, and he was old. He was like my grandparents' age. But, you know, strictly jazz. Not true. I mean, you know, not true at all. I wasn't strictly jazz. As a matter of fact, I played more other music because that paid, you know, polkas and wedding music and, you know, things like that paid money. So I, I played more than that. I mean, I played more of that than I did jazz, you know. So it was, you know, but I just got out of music while well, I had that aneurysm, but it was fading out because you couldn't make any money. But yeah, I, I'm not a, you know, you know a lot more about rock than I do. I know more about jazz than you do. And I can honestly tell you, in the jazz world, there are people out there that no one will ever hear of. No one will know who they are. Their names are lost or they're they're unknown. You might be with somebody, you know, at the grocery store. You might be in line behind somebody who is every bit as good as pretty much anybody you heard. And you'll never know it. And I've run into, I've known guys like that. Okay, great musicians um, that other musicians may be aware of, but the general public will never hear, like Frank Derone or or uh, 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 Frank Caruso, who passed away. Great piano player, great jazz accordionist. Um, you know, uh, Joe Zito, another one, um, or Joe Vito. Excuse me, because I know a Joe Zito and a Joe Vito. List goes on and on you know, uh, of guys that I can name that no one will know who I'm talking about, Pete Salvaggio. Um, so it, it's, just, it's just interesting. So so I didn't start off trying to get out, get a career in martial arts. There was no careers to be had in martial arts, you know. Um, I did all the ancillary work. If I was young now, it would be different. But um, so I, I just have a lot, I just have respect for talent. No matter what it is, it may not be my talent, you know, like not my cup of tea, but, you know, I can really respect someone who's talented. I don't respect people who aren't talented, who try to portray themselves as talented or try to bash other people. Um, I don't like that. You know, I just think if you're really good, then show me, just produce, and then I'll judge. I'll judge the pecking order of where you're at. Not that it even matters. Don't do it because of you're trying to garner my opinion. I'll come to my own opinion, okay, on where I think you stand, right? So, um, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I think with 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 the internet, you you see a lot of that bullshit where people just popping up with opinions and you know, make like especially making competitions out of it when this this is not a competition here. It's it's all about self performance. How good can you be uh, in your chosen line of work? Um, did you reach as the pinnacle of, of what you've done? Can, basically, are you as good as you could possibly have been, or close to it? And that that's to me is is really important. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. If you're if you're trying to make yourself seem better by cutting other people down. People are going to see through that eventually. You know, ultimately. Well, if you don't have anything to back it up, it's all right. I mean, I've cut people down because they they deserve it because they're leading people astray, and that's been that's the case with everyone um, throughout the years that they've done that. No, you don't want to go to to, to him because you know you're not. He really doesn't know car mechanics too well. You're going to get screwed up on your car or whatever. Okay, but um, 
at least in my case, I've tried to produce a body of evidence for almost 30 years now uh, of techniques and presence, okay? Um, so no matter what happens to me going forward, I think I kind of stood, I mean, I did the best I can for almost 30 years, you know? So, um, but there are some people out there that, you know, it, it's like rock and roll. You get a cult following, like you had the, the Eddie Van Halen fans that just thought he was, you know, the Joe Cardinal of music, right? He was just like the guy. And then later on, people are like, yeah, not really, you know? So uh, Keith Moon had his Moonies, right? That, that follow, oh, he's world's greatest drummer. No, not even close. You know, John Bonham was damn friggin' good. I'll tell you that right now. Um, so, yeah, but you do have your diehards that are going to just believe. And, hey, that's cool. But don't shut it out. You know, have an open mind to everybody, you know, um, and then and, 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 and then go from there. Like me, I'm a Buddy Rich fanatic, right? But I'm open to other drummers. I, I, I can watch another guy and say, oh, my God, is this guy good? You know, Dennis Chambers is a – I was a huge fan of Dennis Chambers. Uh, Bobby Columbia, for God's sake. Um, I, I don't want to start naming names because then you you leave them out and it's like, oh, he doesn't think he's good. Now, I, there's a lot. A buddy just is my favorite because of his just unparalleled technique and what he could do and how he drove a big band. But he also could play in combos. And that's how I look at martial arts, you know, or I'll call them martial arts, but fighting. You know, a lot of times you won't hear me compliment this guy or that guy um, because it's not that, all right, like take a grappler and that's all he knows is grappling. I'm not going to bash the guy because he doesn't strike. I'll say, well, he doesn't strike. So I would base his abilities strictly on his grappling. Okay. Like, like, let's just take, uh, I don't know, Mike Tyson, right? I don't judge Mike Tyson based on how he would do in a UFC or how he would do, you know, at the Midlands wrestling tournament. That's not his bag. I judge, I judge Tyson based on his abilities when he was in his prime, his abilities as a boxer. Okay. And how far did he take it? So when I see a grappler that may have a bunch of fans, but his actual grappling is lacking a lot of things. Well, then I'm going to, I'm not going to build him up. I'm not going to say, well, he's great. No, you know, he's lacking in certain things. Um, and, and that's, so that's how I personally judge someone just like Bill Wallace, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I could judge him strictly on his kickboxing, but the kickboxing American style is kind of gone. Right. So there's really no way to, to go with that, but I can judge him because I know him personally and I've seen what he does in, in other, in, in other avenues. So I, I got a good, the guy's great. Um, <coughs> oh shit. Hold on. <laughs> Ow. So that, that's how I look at things. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't give out a lot of compliments. I try to stay neutral on it or just not. I mean, I'm not going to call like somebody out by name unless they're really doing something that's going to get somebody killed. But that's just my take on it. You know, it kind of goes back to you when you were talking about musicians kind of get locked in if they're very successful at one sound. You know, it's going to be hard for them artistically to take risks to do something different or new because the audience is expecting X, Y, or Z. It's got to be similar. Like you mentioned, Mike Tyson. Um, now, granted, he was older, but, you know, someone who's, you know, historically one of the greatest boxers of all time, you know, no one can 
doubt his achievements there, but for him to transition to something that he's not done before, like MMA or something like that, it's got to be very difficult because you know, okay, I'm maybe not going to be the most dominant at this. Or there's other grapplers, like you said, there's people who dominate at the world of submission grappling right now, and they will never transition to MMA, or they just seem to drag their feet on it. And and I wonder if some of that is like, you know, I'm taking a risk here. You know, right now I'm on the top. You know, everybody thinks I'm the greatest. But if, if I do this thing that I'm not as familiar with, I could have some losses. I could have some failures, you know, like I'm starting. And it's got to be tough to make that transition when you're at the pinnacle, when you're very successful at one thing. Um, it is. And you, you hit the nail on the head because I, I can tell you from personal experience when I was drumming. Um, I had an opportunity to um, play uh, in a Latin band, okay? And I was weak in Latin music. I mean, I would do the simple cha-chas, you know, never on a Sunday or, you know, Spanish eyes and shit. But Latin music was just not my thing, man. I I, I just, I don't have it, okay? I don't, I, I didn't have proper training in, in, in Latin. And um, I wasn't going to do it because I would have made an asshole out of myself for sure. And I would have brought the band down. Okay. So maybe some of these submission grapplers realize, okay, their submissions aren't going to work in a, in a no holds barred situation. So as far as drawing a fan base, yeah. Oh, the name recognition maybe, but how entertaining are they going to be overall? Are they going to make the show a better show or are they going to bring the show down? Um, you know, that's just how, how it can be. I don't know any, I'm not, I don't know anybody. So I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. I'm just trying to piggyback off of your comment. So, yeah, there's just times where I know my limitations. You know, I'm not going to enter into this realm because I cannot succeed. I will not, like pool, shooting pool. You know, I can't play billiards. I've never, I've never played three cushion billiards in my life. I never even, I never even tried a shot on a three cushion table. So I would never try to do that. Okay. Or there's certain pool games that I would, never even attempt to play because you know that's just not i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get there so you i think you have and, and, and it breaks down to a fight and i think this is my biggest contention with the martial arts world people who are now trying to talk about street fighting when i can tell just by lo- how they and if there's any video footage of them competing or whatever i can say okay they're they don't have it yet but just hearing them talk i know okay they have no conception of a street fight all right, not even remotely close. They may be the best guy in the world. You want to hang out and drink beer and have pizzas with them all night long. Don't listen to them when it comes to street fighting because that could cause you your life. You know, um, so, yeah, I, you know, there's just, that's just my my pet peeve with the martial arts world. It, it really is, you know, because um, when, they, when they start trying to talk about self-defense or, or this or that, you don't know it. And there's nothing wrong with saying it. Hey, listen, I've never been in a street fight. I only had one or two minor encounters or whatever. Just be open to learn. You know, go to people who actually know or who have survived. And they may not be martial artists. See, that's the big thing about, like, with street fighting is the vast majority of people who have ever been in a mugging or any violent encounter are not martial artists. They're not trained. But they have so much experience that you don't have as a trained martial artist. Ask them. Go to them. Find out what happened. How did it go down? This, that, whatever. 
Don't even go to a cop for that because they didn't see it. They don't know. Um, and the biggest thing that I drew from musicians was jazz is that they wanted to get on the road. They wanted to go on the road and play with other jazz musicians. You play jazz music five nights a week back when you could uh, for a year on the road or whatever. You are going to learn. I mean, you are going to come out of this far better. Yes, you go in there proud of your abilities, but you go in there knowing you're going to become much better. Every frigging jazz musician I know that didn't go on the road, including Jerry Sigler, knows that they could have been better. Told me so. If they could have gone on the road or if they could have played, just played in a jazz band here in Chicago or wherever they live um, five nights a week, they'd have improved. They would have even been better. And I think yeah, that, that that martial arts can learn from that. Okay, um, you know, just being in the environment. That's why what I've gone through and others, it can't be replicated. I was raised in that violent neighborhood, day after day, year after year. So I'm going to have a wealth of experience in approaching that no, call it classically trained martial artist is going to have. Okay, they just not going to have it. It's too late for them to develop it. But it doesn't matter. They can still learn. Somewhat. So, you know, th this is what people just don't get. And, and and I wouldn't have gotten it either if I wasn't a jazz musician. I would have never, you know, <clears throat> I knew growing up as I witnessed stuff, right? And that, okay, this martial art movie, that guy would never, you can't do that in this, in a real life scenario. So, but if I wasn't raised in that neighborhood, um, I wouldn't probably know any better. So just like with music, if I, if I wasn't into jazz or new jazz musicians, I would have thought, hey, I can play that song exactly like he did on the record. So I'm a great jazz musician. No, there's more to it. You know, the other thing you mentioned, and I was going to circle back to it, and, you know, we've talked a lot about celebrities today. Um, it's just how fleeting it is. I mean, there's a handful um, that will last forever. You know, but even I, th I was thinking about like presidents, you know, I don't think I, I could name all of them off. I mean, this is the president of the United States, you know, <laughs> and of the how many do we have now? Forty six. I've lost track. But yeah, but that's not a fair comparison because you're going back two hundred and you know, 70 years or well, not 70, but, you know, you're you're going back almost 250 years. There hasn't been actors or celebrities. But I get what you're saying. But even um, like greats. Yeah, greats. Um, you know, I was thinking about, like you said, there are world-class musicians that no one will ever know. Or, you know, they, they're known to their little community. But beyond that, they're just, you know, the average person on the street is not going to know them, even though their talent may, you know, the work, the skill and their ability, you know, is, is world-class. And um, I guess that was my point is that, um, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, if you, that's what you love and that's what you want to do, you you have that satisfaction of having achieved that. Um, but it is just something that I was just thinking, you know, about Luthez and how, you know, someone that he was the biggest wrestling star, you know, in the, the middle of the 20th century, there was no bigger name. But I, you know, as time goes on, I think, you know, Fewer and fewer people, even the term catch wrestling. Like I said, I've talked to wrestlers, people who've wrestled college, through college, been all about wrestling, have not even heard the term catch wrestling. 
I mean, that's maybe less, but this is recently, like in the last several years, because I'll just, you know, people ask me what I do or what I'm interested in, and they're wrestlers, and I'll talk about that, and they'll, you know, they just don't know their history, they they don't, that stuff isn't passed on, and it, you know, um, it's, I guess it's, you know, to me, it's just a reminder that everything is temporary, you know, you could be world-class at that, and it's sad in a lot of ways, because we lose some of our, we, you know, there's, uh, yeah, we're losing some of our heritage through that, whether it's the knowledge of the techniques or the knowledge of the people and the history. Um, uh, so that's well, the development. Know. That's the that's the thing, too, you know, um, and that's what I try to keep going. Develop, you know, not live in the past. OK, keep improving new tech, new, not even new techniques, per se, but just new approaches and stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, building off. Catch wrestling is a funky thing because it slid its own throat in a lot of ways. And especially now you got guys that are just burying it, you know, it's just like, okay. But because it was all fake, um, you know, it, it didn't get taken seriously, you know, um, and rightfully so because it was all performance. And therefore, development ceased, okay, because you can't develop anything when it's just performing performance art. It's not real. Um, so... Uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's tough. It, it, it really is. And now pro, professional wrestling, you mentioned Luthes. Well, not comparing skill, obviously, but a guy like Hulk Hogan is going to be probably eternal. Now he was nowhere near as skillful as Luthes, but wrestling itself became far more popular in the eighties and, and currently than anything r- approaching Luthez's time. So in that regard, wrestling became, you know, if not pro wrestling, that is, far more popular now than than ever. Um, but you're right, Luthez's name is not brought up in reverence. Um, Danny Hodge or uh um you know uh Vern Gagne and guys, you know, that were uh you know, huge uh and others. I mean, there's a lot of names of champions, actual champions. Um, in the professional wrestling, their, their, their names are are gone because it was it was performance. Okay, these were all performers at that point, not competitive. In the pro wrestling world, I'm talking about, of course, Danny Hodge and all those guys. You know, they, yeah, they competed in, in the amateur world. Um, so it's 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 hard, Joe. I don't care about it. Okay, I don't want to live in the past. All right, my whole thing is. What somebody did in 1890 is not going to help me. All right, right now, I, I 1890 isn't isn't you know 2090. So I'm going to you know I'm going to keep on developing. I still come up with ideas. You know, I'll never stop doing that because like a musician, you're going to keep on develop. That's part of the, my mind, and, and I, I'm not singular. Other musicians are like that. They keep on developing ideas and thoughts. Songwriters are classics. Okay, they'll always come up with new songs. Some may not be as as good as their hits, you know, but that's how I approach things. I'm always going to become innovative. Innovative. I had somebody write me the other day about, well, we've been training off of your videos. Well, that's fine, but what I teach, and you know this, and Martin knows this, and guys that have, what I teach live, this isn't even covered on my videos, okay? Because much like music, where people want to hear those, certain hits in our line of work, they want to see those submissions and all of that shit where 
The fact of the matter is, the submissions are the last thing you need to worry about right now. How do you move? How do you angle? How do you do this? How do you that? So, um, you know, it's 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 really, and that's what when you're a professional wrestler. I don't care who trained you, and you might know submissions. You're never going to develop completeness, or you're never going to be ferocious because you didn't develop all of those other things. Okay, so I always revert to Jackie Chan because he's the only name I know in martial arts movies, and I I admire him. So I don't mean anything negative about. It. So I'm using him as the name, but I don't mean him personally. Jackie Chan is a martial art action star. Therefore, his martial arts are based on being looking good as opposed to functional. And taking it further, his acting skills are based on being an action artist and not a drama or, you know, a comedian. Well, he is a funny guy, so whatever. But you get my point. So I didn't have to worry about any of that. All I had to do was develop as a fighter to defend myself. You know, I didn't have to worry about, well, how am I going to look tonight when I perform in Madison Square Garden in front of 20,000 people, right? I, I didn't have to do that. So, um, yeah, it's just a whole, it's a whole different thing, man. So I, I, I understand your your lust for wanting Catch to be popular or Luthez in particular or some other name. It, it you got to let it go because it's just going to frustrate you because it's not going to happen. It's just too late. And then, you know, of course, you know, you don't have, there's just a lot of things working against it. So be true to us, be true to yourself, you know, us meaning your training partners, like go when you work out, let's all try to get the most out of each other, push each other to the next level. Um, and, and just, you, you know, there's a lot of people in my life that I wish, had more exposure. Jerry Sigler should have been, you know, he his his knowledge, like one guy that we knew, another great accordionist, he was Jerry's best friend. Sammy Caparo said, Jerry knows more about music than he can ever play. I mean, he just, theoretically, he knows so much, you know, and I mean, there's just guys like that, man, that, you know, they can get the credit because accordion is mocked. Now it's starting to gain some popularity again, but it was mocked and made fun of and ridiculed. Why? Because you had shitty accordion players. I played with almost every one of them. You know, shit. They didn't know anything. And, you know, so there's there's parallels to like martial arts where you got these shitty martial artists that you got to contend with. You know, um, some, not of course, not everybody. There's some major guys. But, yeah, so you have that, Joe. Yeah, it just sucks, but it's the way it is. Just a little digression, and I, I don't know if I specifically shared this with you, but you probably enjoy this. But, you know, I've shared our podcast with some family and friend, friends and and acquaintances and whatnot, uh, but they really love the intro music. And they're yeah. shocked. They're shocked that, like, they're, they're not necessarily, I mean, they they probably casual jazz fans. They're, I wouldn't consider them, like, hardcore jazz nuts, but I'm like, yeah, that's jazz according this, that, and the other. And it's it's interesting because here's a whole, yeah, like, like you said, most people discount the accordion, you know, a lot in, in popular, but almost everybody who's heard that says, that's cool. What is that? You know, when they heard someone of that skill level playing, you know, they dug it, you know, and this is a young a young person who just I recently, a kid who's 29, uh, I turned on to the podcast. He was like, yeah, that's cool. That jazz music, you know, like, so it is, it is, you know, um, it's unfortunate. Yeah. 
and Jerry wrote that song, and that's called uh, Leon the Libra, which was written for Leon Sash, who was Jerry's jazz accordion teacher, okay? Um, and uh, Leon was blind. Leon lived in, well, when Jerry was studying with him, he lived in Skokie, and Jerry would was in Cleveland as a kid, young, like teenager, and would take the Greyhound bus once a month back and forth to Chicago, to you know, Cleveland to Chicago, and then... Um, Eventually, in early 60s, 61, 62, something like that, Jerry moved to Chicago permanently. Um, but yeah, um, so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing um, how. But my whole point was this: like you know, what I teach isn't all on video. Okay, yeah, yeah certainly some moves are holds are and stuff. But you know, you you and Martin can testify. Martin always talks about it when he's on a podcast about the things that I show at these workshops or whatever that he's never seen before. And, and Martin's known me for 20 some years because we never got to it. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of knowledge still there and I want to be able to get it out there because I guarantee, I know for a fact, nobody else is doing it. All right. So it's uniqueness and it'll, it'll really improve everybody's ability as a fighter. Um, but, you know, just like Jerry has so much knowledge, not just jazz, classical, Schillinger method, all that shit, that I don't think he's ever taught every anybody all that shit. I know I never learned a Schillinger from him. And I, I mean, a couple light classical things, fiddle faddle and, you know, shit like that, dizzy fingers, whatever he wanted me to practice. But, you know, when Jerry goes, all that knowledge is gone. There's no one left. There's there's not going to be anybody that's oh I'm I, you know I'm carrying on his legacy no that's sad yeah that's sad and I think that's more common than not I think with you know experts that um, some stuff is just lost forever I mean I would the one benefit thankfully we live in an era where at least some of it can be record you know we have the ability to record it you know record these things uh, whether audio or video um, although that's not you know whatever written down in books. Um, but that never captures all of it. You know, that's just kind of a glimpse. You get a better vision of it, but, um, and kind of, I'll make, you know, kind of a last minute plug when you talked about, you know, people who, and yeah, learning from the videos is a great place to start. I mean, obviously, you know, again, uh, you can support Tony by uh, downloading and paying for and, and getting his videos from his website. Uh, that's a great way to support the coach and obviously being a part of our monthly membership. Um, you know, where we get videos that are not available other in other places that that's something, you know, you get to see what these little extra, some of these extra things are that we're doing at the workshops. Um, you know, that, that, that's being video captured, thankfully, and we're sharing that with those who are in, uh, the membership site. So again, so we'll have the details below in the YouTube, uh, you know, comments section and, um, yeah, uh, Oh, I was going to have, I had one more um, accordion story I'll share before we kind of yeah. start things up. Just a little anecdote. So, uh, you know, the band Los Lobos, right? They're, they're, um, <clears throat> um, oh, uh, they are. yeah, they're, you know, Hispanic rock band, they did Tex-Mex. They've been around since the eighties. Um, anyways, I got, the, I've seen them a couple of times. I got to see them actually at that same theater that Ben worked at the Tivoli. Um, <clears throat> they have music concerts there a couple of times a year and Los Lobos was there and, um great concert front row and they they you know because they're i i think in the hispanic or at least in mexican culture the accordion is very popular too like i don't think that ever went out of style there correct and, 
And a guy did an accordion solo as part of one of their songs, and he he really jammed. And anyways, towards the end of the concert, you know, people are we're in the John, everybody's clear. And when this one guy was fairly drunk, he's like, "Man, that dude on the xylophone was awesome." <laughs> well, you know, they play a completely different style of an accordion. They play a button accordion, so it, it, it's not comparable. I mean, I couldn't play one, and they may be able to play a piano accordion because it's like a keyboard. <clears throat> but yeah, it, they're. They got a different sound. They got a different tone. They're, some of them are phenomenal. And um, there's a couple of tunes that um, Los Lobos would play that I really like, okay? And um, I would play them at certain bars out here that would just tick people off because they don't want to hear it, you know, <laughs> but I would I would play it. And, um, and there would always be like some, there would be a Mexican guy over there that would toast me, you know, <laughs> be like, you know, gracias, senor, you know, uh, I love the music, you know, I love, and there's, um, see, that's the thing. Again, I'm labeled as a jazzer when I, man, I listened to, well, I think you, well, maybe you don't know, but like when I'm working out, I have the seventies music channel on. I don't have jazz music on. I listen to the seventies or sometimes I'll listen to the eighties music. I, I love it. You know, I, I mean, frankly, I, again, you know, it, it isn't challenging to play. It's very simple music to play but it not not everything has to be a challenge sometimes jazz is just too too freaking much you know i don't want to have to think i just want to sit back and enjoy it you know and some jazz guys go way off okay they go so far into it and jazz has subcultures right or subgenres modal tonal uh, some of that shit i just don't dig i'm not gonna listen to it i don't like it okay i like my bebop you know swing um you know more that kind of shit so yeah but that's funny, the xylophone, because I'll, yeah, people don't, oh, I get it. Oh, I didn't know you could play jazz on the accordion. Yeah, and classical. You know, um, I'm sure we had Corey Pesatoro on here. I'm sure he ran through that, you know, that he experiences that. Um, you know, just like I've heard guys play jazz banjo, believe it or not. Uh, what else? Of course, jazz on a harmonica, classical on a harmonica, jazz steel guitar, the late great Buddy Evans, you know. Um, he played good jazz on steel guitar. That's country. Um, and not just country swing. He played bebop and shit. So yeah, it's 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 cool that we had this kind. Of, I, I like talking like this. Um, but anyway, yeah, I guess we better wrap it up. This is one of our rare filming occasions where we film early. We're filming early on this Sunday, which is good with me. But uh, no, thanks everybody again, and um. Oh, yeah, somebody asked about my mom, and she's still the same. You know, not – she put on weight, um, but she's not um, coherent and, you know, is just completely dependent on going to the bath. You know, they, she can't do any of that. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's sad. Uh, our, our, our Alzheimer's is horrible, uh, and it's, it's, it's horrible to watch because, you, you know, it's, it's taken – when we get older, I feel like with me personally, I live in the past, okay? I have memories that when I'm down and depressed, I try to think of the good times, the memories. And um, and so far with my memory loss, I still have that that I'm, that I'm aware of. I don't have the current memories too much. But Alzheimer's people, their memories are gone, okay? They don't remember. And... To me, that's just 
the, probably the most vicious, cruel thing that you could do to anyone is to take their memories from them, okay? And maybe all that they accomplished. And uh, it's it's heartbreaking. And I, I don't want, I don't try, I try not to dwell on it anymore because it just, it literally is heartbreaking and it ruins me for a while. You know, it's hard to come over, get over it thinking about my mom not remembering she had an interesting life. She had a painful life. I'm glad she doesn't probably remember any of that. But she, you know, doesn't even know that she was loved. Okay? Um, and heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, and it just tears me up. And I, so I, I really sympathize with other people who are going through it with their, you know, in their family. Not, um, uh, all, the only advice I can give to people who are dealing with a loved one that has memory loss, dementia, or, you know, Alzheimer's or whatever, is take care of yourself. Give yourself breaks, you know, get, get help for yourself, somebody to watch him or her. And, you know, because it will, you know, it, it's, it's a vortex that will suck you down. Okay. Um, you don't, they can never rise to your level intellectually anymore. They're not capable of it. You will gradually go down. It's just, it's a fact. Don't take my word for it. it it's a fact. Um, so, and if there's anybody out there that is going through it and needs to vent with someone, email me. I'm, I'll be glad to, to let you vent on me. Okay. Or, or ask me, advice on on how to deal with alzheimer's um or anything related to it so just boy it's tough joe I, i'm glad that you have children that love you um and they'll they'll that'll be there for you because i mean i, I hope you don't you don't need them in that in that regard but you know you just you got to have people to fall back on no absolutely i'm very i'm very blessed to have that family no doubt it's the greatest blessing i have well, and you're you're a good father, man. I'll, I'll tell you, um, really. So you Thank know, you. It, it goes both ways. It cuts both ways. They're lucky to have you. Okay, so that's the way I look at it. But anyway, we're lucky to have you. you all of us. Really, you really are. True. All of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. Just with my presence. So wow. for yet another week here on the Stap No Tap podcast. So. Uh, you just have to wait till next week now for the next uh, next thrilling conversation with Joe and Tony. That'll be Easter next Sunday, so we'll have to figure out about that. So, um, but we can film ahead of time, you know, and just upload it on Easter Sunday. But uh, but yes, everybody, thank you uh, for tuning in again, and we look forward to seeing you <clears throat> next week, which will be Easter Sunday. So we will hopefully have the broadcast up by the, on Easter Sunday or the next day, like normal. But I love you guys, and thank you everybody who asked about about myself, about me, or, or, or more importantly, about my mom. Uh, I, I appreciate it very much. Thank <laughs> you.